I just wanted to say thanks to Paul for um, a um, leading us into a beautiful space this morning, and B for kicking it old school like Justin Timberlake, which was good. Um, it was good doing the. <laughs> I had a small flashback to that JT song where he goes, you know, we don't really do this anymore, but ladies, repeat after me. I don't know, no, 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 I'll leave it with you. Um, <laughs> no one is leaving with anyone. <laughs> you can all go home separately, please. None of that. Excellent. Um, cool. It's good having you here. If you're new here, welcome. Um, you're pretty much all new here. We all are. So if no one's talked to you this morning, it's not because we're rude. It's because everyone thinks they're new and someone should talk to them. Um, <laughs> but we're getting used to that slowly. Yeah. Sally's dress is really pretty this morning. So is Louise's. Lovely. So don't. I know she always complains when I talk about her pretty dresses um, from stage because she doesn't like attention. But, you know... I don't listen, so yeah. Uh, we've been, uh, we're in the middle of a series on the kingdom of God at the moment, which has been, I think it's been fun. Rod did a brilliant ukulele job last week, which was incredibly intimidating when you don't have ukulele skills. Um, yeah, I thought we'd just start really, really briefly. We're, we're, we're a dialoguing community, so we talk back and forth uh, uh, a lot, and sometimes that means that we take lots of time, so we're going to try and take less time today. Uh, but we're also going to try and hear from um, some different voices in our community. So if you don't regularly speak up but feel like you might like to, today might be a nice day to do that. Um, and we're going to try and where possible allow a little bit of space. Some people are really good at uh, impulsively just blurting things out and other people need, that's me, and other people need a little bit more time to think. So during some of our discussion time um, today, we'll try and give you a little bit more time to think if we can. And we've got a church fate on um, afterwards, so we can't take very long because the um, Melbourne Youth Gay and Lesbian Choir are using, oh, a school fate, sorry, um, are using the building, so we need to get out of here. Uh, so we're going to try and stay really short today if we can. We're not very good at that, but we'll do our very best. Uh, Kingdom of God series so far, I just thought it'd be cool to hear from maybe three or four people um, something that we've um, talked about as a community that's made them think or ask a different question. Uh, what's something that you've been thinking about because um, you've been thinking about the kingdom of God or what's something you might have like learned from someone uh, or what's, something, what's a question that you've been asking because of this series. So I'll give you 30 seconds to think about that before we allow anyone to talk so that we can let some of the non-flashy thinkers gestate. Such a gross word. <laughs> It's all slimy. Cool. We've got a couple of people that would be willing to. Yeah, Veronique. Um, one big thing that I've been learning and that has, yeah, kind of gone against what I grew up with was, is that... Um, we don't need to actually seek the kingdom of God. We just need to see it like it's going on around us and it's not something that we need to find or create. It's something that is happening and, yeah, that we can take apart. Cool. That's awesome. Right. Can anyone else match that? Ooh. 
Hey. Hi. Um, not directly related to the kingdom of God, but within the kingdom of God, I've been thinking about peace lately and just the idea that um, you don't have, like, that peace doesn't necessarily look like something that is finished and peaceful. It could look like something just really honest and hard and that the peace part might come later. So, yeah. That's very directly related to the kingdom of God. Excellent. Sometimes there's conflict in peacemaking. One more? Or should we just leave it there? Anyone bursting with something? Sam Ogges is bursting. Wee bubble of joy. Um, kind of to do with um, nonviolence. And I've thought about that sort of stuff a fair bit, but the way that Rod kind of phrased it when we explored the whole <laughs> backslap um, and how that the turning the other cheek was kind of a really creative way of um, non-violence, but kind of being, I don't know, like teaching in the action of not being violent as well, um, rather than just being completely passive. Yeah. Um, and I don't really know how backslapping and creative non-violence is able to be applied to certain things in this culture yet, but it just kind of really stuck out to me and really challenged um, me to think about it more. So, awesome. If you um, d- didn't, we weren't here last week, um, but have struggled in the past to um, really get your head around um, the whole ch- turn, you, turn the other cheek idea, especially if it just sounds like complete um, rolling over, then listen to the podcast from last week because Rod did a brilliant job of. Um, unpacking that. I'm not going to unpack it again because it's really annoying when you say something and then someone gets up straight after you and says the whole thing again um, to make sure people understand it. Today we're going to be talking about the gospel and power. Um, And we're not going to really necessarily arrive anywhere today. I know that might unsettle you. Uh, But we're going to start asking a bunch of questions that hopefully begin to shape how we see the world. Uh, And we're going to start with this proposition. And my proposition is this. It's not new, but it definitely is unsettling. Um, My proposition is we should be suspicious of advantage. We should be suspicious of advantage. And as we talk today, I just want you to have that kind of in the back of your mind um, and have a think about how the verses that we talk about um, might influence your thinking on that. We're going to cover uh, three little passages, and we're going to spend seven minutes on each of them uh, to try and keep, <laughs> keep our time down. Uh, and I need like a compassionate timekeeper. So I was thinking maybe Talitha, because... I'm like dead scared of Mark. Mark's, <laughs> Mark's already told me if we did get out of the church um, after 12 o'clock today, there's going to be big trouble. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what Mark's going to do to me, but I'm very scared. So you're not going to be my timekeeper, Mark, because you're far too strong and scary. So I thought maybe Talitha could be. Um, do you want, have you got your own iPhone? Oh, you do? Okay, cool. Don't start it yet because we haven't started one of the sections yet. Mark, you're not allowed to look at the clock. Okay, excellent. Um, we should be suspicious of advantage. I, I believe that the gospel sends us on a head-on collision with one of the major scripts of our world, um, which is that uh, we should succeed at all costs. That we should succeed at all costs. I think the gospel critiques that idea um, 
And I think it invites us instead into a path of dying as well as winning. It invites us in a million little ways to die to winning when winning means costing others their humanity. Um, And this relationship with power is a constant theme throughout Jesus's life. Uh, If you read the Gospels, there's invitations over and over and over again, um, the most prominent of them probably being the testing in the desert, where Jesus gets invited to win and to fulfill his purpose through a way that actually goes against what he lived as being the kingdom of God. There were invitations for him to succeed, but to succeed in a way that actually meant his failure. You can win by illegitimate means. And I think that the message of the kingdom of God points us towards the fact that winning isn't everything. That actually how we win, how we do what we do, and even um, that it's perhaps better to fail, or at least appear to fail, rather than win by illegitimate means. So what I wanted us to meditate on today is um, alternate ways of winning. Um, Or how we go about doing the things that we feel that we're called to do or that we want to do. A word you'll hear throughout this series as it goes on is the word subversion. And Rod talked a little bit about subversion last week. Um, Subversion is all about the idea that sometimes when there's a dominant system operating, it's almost impossible to take it head on uh, or that it's incredibly difficult to win legitimately by playing by their rules of dominance. And so the idea of subversion is finding alternate ways of standing up to something um, that will actually speak a louder message. And this, for me, is the power of uh, the much maligned word trajectory. Um, Trajectory is all about pointing in a particular direction and walking in that. Uh, Often I think we get caught up in idealism, which makes us think, like, you know, we hear a message about poverty, uh, and we'd like to think that we can just teleport to a place of absolute justice, um, overthrow our lives in a moment, and completely escape all systems. I don't think that's always possible. Sometimes I think the best thing we can do is work out where we're heading and start taking small steps towards that place or even large, bold steps towards that place. But realise that that the course of our lives, um, over the course of our lives, we want to be heading towards justice in everything we do. But that doesn't always mean we can teleport straight there. Rod illustrated that idea of um, subversion and trajectory when he uh, sort of unmasked the binary... Um, scripts given around violence, and he did that on a ukulele through a Kenny Rogers song, talking about uh, <laughs> as you do, uh, talking about you know the, you know so much of um, of um, mythological betrayals or media betrayals of violence. Uh, there's only two options, and that's either to be violent or just to roll over and die. Uh, and Rod sort of talked about Jesus inviting us into the third way, which is, um, which is actually resisting non-violently, not just rolling over, but finding creative ways to resist non-violently. That's a great um, uh, example of subversion. So today, we're going to look at these three passages, and uh, we're going to see how they deal with power and advantage. And I'm using the words power and advantage interchangeably here, because I feel like with advantage comes power. If you have uh, money, social standing, cultural advantages, uh, um, or any of these other kinds of advantages, they translate into a form of power which can be used well 
which can be abused, but ultimately also which can transform you. I had a conversation, um, actually one of my friends had a conversation, and they're a bunch of friends a little while ago about money, and someone made the comment, yeah, I just feel like money's really important because if you have more money, you can do the stuff you want. Money makes you a better version of yourself because you get to do the things that you want, which is great if you subscribe to the belief that um, yourself is uh, totally and in every way uh, moral and good, and there's no bad things in it. I feel like power actually amplifies what's in us, which can actually be a little bit scary if there's parts of us that aren't that nice. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that money necessarily makes us better or worse. I feel like these kinds of power uh, make us bigger versions of ourselves but also have the potential to corrupt us as well. So Talitha, timekeeper. All I'm looking for when the seven minutes is up is just a gentle, like don't king hit me, don't rip the microphone off the person talking and like knock a tooth out. Just a gentle one. We're drawing your time. Okay, good. I think she understands. Wonderful. Uh, Luke 6 verse 20. Let's have a quick look at this. Uh, where's Ben Tumney? I'd, I'd really like you to, so I, I so loved your reading last week. I'd love you to read it. I'd love you to read again. So if you can read this slide, and then the next slide as well. That'd be amazing. Okay. Oh, gosh. No pressure. <laughs> then he looked up at, the, at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Tumney. All right, let's just have a think about this. Um, If you were just to read this, isolated standalone or here perhaps imagine you were there when Jesus was saying this to a crowd of people what emotions or ideas spring up for you when thinking about the advantage or riches or powers in your life what jumps out what kind of feelings might you feel Elsa? You don't need God. You don't what? You don't need God. You don't need God? Cool. What else? I'd feel guilt, defensiveness, um, anger, and, yeah, a whole range of emotions. (laughs) Good combination. Anyone else? Yo. I'd feel really uncomfortable. Like I'd want to sink into a hole. <laughs> yeah. 
confronting, eh? It's really confronting. Um, the, the, the popular assumption of the day, of course, is that God is with the powerful. It was, it was just went without saying. God blesses those um, um, who are with him, and that's why they're rich. Uh, and obviously they are, because you know they're up in the higher strata, and God's put them up there. That was kind of the system, the belief system of the day. But this is undercurrent belief system coming through the prophets as well, which is saying, you know, like you have it all now, and you feel so powerful and so secure. And Jesus kind of walked in the footsteps of these prophets saying, you, you think right now, because no one can touch you, that you're not even accountable for what you've got. But the kingdom of God operates in a different manner. Also underlying this is perhaps the idea that a lot of the time, particularly in the context Jesus was talking to, we've covered this in the last few weeks, but the way people got rich was by exploiting other people. So you would take advantage of someone else's weakness and you would wait until they couldn't pay their debts or their taxes, which the Roman Empire put on them, and then you'd leap on that opportunity and take that property at the cheapest price possible. And so they no longer had property, but then you'd lease it back to them so that they could run the farm for you and you made the money and you owned the property. Incredibly exploitive system. So Jesus is kind of like speaking into the situation here and asking really heavy questions about exactly whose side God is on. Okay, we'll go to the next one. I don't mean this to get really heavy. I mean, I might get heavy, but yeah. (laughs) Anyways, we'll just let it do what it does. Clean up the mess later. Okay, this is is a great little passage. I love this one. Uh, Luke 20, verse 20 to 28. Uh, Would anyone else like to read? I love voices that aren't mine. Yeah, awesome. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked him a favour. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand, your right, and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be your first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This passage is hilarious for a few reasons. Well, mainly, yeah, a few, but mainly one. Um, James and John got their mum to come and ask Jesus for a promotion. How great is that? So the 12 disciples are hanging out, and then suddenly, like, their mum's hanging around. 
And it's like, uh, yeah, I thought we were having a boys trip, but you know. And then mum's there. And then next minute, mum's like pulling Jesus aside. And the rest, the other guys like aren't there, but they can kind of, they've heard, they heard about it eventually, I guess. And so it's like, my boys. Aren't they great? How about, oh, is that seven minutes? Oh, start a new one because we've just, yeah, yeah. Okay, brilliant. We're, we're ahead of time. Well done. Great. Um, and they're like, oh, my boys, aren't they, aren't they fantastic? I mean, every mum loves their boys. Oh. Do you reckon when you come to power, they could perhaps be your right and left hand men? This is a clear misunderstanding of the kind of path that Jesus would take, which is what Jesus pointed out. We talked like in the first couple of weeks about the different scripts. And the idea around Messiah was that Messiah was going to come and power like a Davidic warrior king and slash down the enemy and then rule as a king. And so what she's asking is for essentially for them to be the second most powerful people on earth. Quite a big ask. Uh, (laughs) Jesus' reply there of, um, do you think you can drink from the cup I drink from? In their heads probably translated to a golden goblet full of delicious wine and great power. (laughs) And Jesus Jesus' head, it's been offered a stick with sour wine on a cross. Their ideas of the kingdom were so very different. But Jesus' next little statement here looks at the rulers and officials of high authority that they are familiar with. And this is the thing. James and John thought they were entering into this system where they would get to rule in this way. And they were like, we'll stop bad people from doing it and we'll rule this way instead. But Jesus kind of points out how this whole thing works. In the world that you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Um, Another translation says they are tyrants and they dominate. What he was referring to was the Roman Empire, which subdued and crushed people to the extent of their limits until people were starving to death, were nailed on crosses. He was saying, look what happens when people get power. These are the ways that you are familiar with. The way of the kingdom is not this way. If you want power and authority, it means something quite different the cup you'll drink and the manner in which you go away, oh, um, you go, you operate in your power is going to be a way of suffering and giving your life over for the people that you're serving. It's true servant leadership. And it can be hard and it can hurt. Um, systems of dominance you're probably all reasonably familiar with, but they can play out in a ton of ways. Um, they can play out in incredibly small spheres. Um, most of you went to high school, and some of you would have suffered under small social systems of dominance, where they're not exactly the Roman Empire, 
but they can crush you in a very, very similar way if you end up in the outskirts. And the gospel calls us to rethink how we operate. I'm just going to leave you with that one. Let's go to the next one. Okay. New seven minutes. <laughs> that one only took. That one took maybe 10. 10? 12. Okay. But the first one took four. Okay. We're on track, kids. Okay. Luke 14. Do we have a, do we have a reader? This is a really, this, I love this story. It's an interesting sociological insight. Duff and air. We thought we'd bring you something. The best of British. Am I allowed to just say beforehand that the, um, the other one wasn't Luke 20, it was Matthew 20? Oh, Matthew 20. Yeah, just in case anybody got confused like me. <laughs> of course they don't. Okay, Luke 14, 1 to 13. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of the prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on that Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. I was going to talk about that, but we're running out of time, so I won't. So, but... And very, very brief. Essentially, that was the system of the Pharisees. They were operating a, 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 a way of getting close to God in a way that actually really, really hurt people. And that's what Jesus was critiquing in that. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone eat, invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Awesome. Um, go, just go back. We'll go to, get to this bit in a minute. Okay, so you, we're working on, on, a, on a shame society here. So you'd hold a dinner party, and you'd invite all the most important people. And you'd invite the most important people so that people could see how much honour you had. Honour was a currency in this day. In an honour-shame society, people would literally bankrupt themselves to run the games. Um, and they'd be out of money, but they'd have honor and get looked after the rest of their lives. Honor was the highest currency. Um, so you got, um, the way dinners worked is that you would invite really important people so that people knew that you were important. And then there was a social hierarchy. At the top, the most honorable person would be the person at the head of the table, the host of the dinner party. And then cascading down from that, would be the next most important, the next most important, the next most important, the next most important, all the way down to the scumbags, the, the people who just got the invite because someone else couldn't turn up. And you could know instantly, you could walk into a room and you knew who was important because they would be the closest to the head of the table. And you would do everything you could to suck up to them so that you could kind of glean a little bit off their importance and get higher up the table next time. Or that when you're out and about, people would know that you're a somebody. So Jesus, in some ways, 
it looks like he's endorsing the system. But what he's saying is, if you're on the underside of power, rather than like scrambling over other people to get to the front, imagine what would happen if the host came up and said, um, you're actually a few places too far up. Can you go back a bit? Incredible loss of face. So Jesus' advice is, rather than, if you're on the underside of power, rather than scrambling over others to get to the top, why not place yourself back a bit and maybe you'll be promoted? And it's like, hmm, good social advice. There's a little bit of humility there. That's kind of nice as well, I guess. It's better than scrambling over other people. Um, But it looks like Jesus is kind of endorsing the system. Until this next moment. So, okay, stay there. So, at this point in time, Jesus is saying this. Here's Sally. She's at the head of the table. Everyone knows she's the important one. Look at her. She's amazing. All of you want to be close to Sally, don't you? Of course you do. She's incredibly powerful and beautiful. So, what you're trying to do is get close to her. And at this point, Sally's puffing up because she's the host of this dinner party. And Jesus is just going on and on and on about how great it would be to get here. Sally puffed up. (laughs) End of story. Not quite. Flick over the slide. Then Jesus turns to Sally and says this. As for you, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Just unmasks, takes the sheet, the covering off the entire system, and says, you're all clamoring to get to the front of something which is actually oppressing you. Why don't you turn that whole table over? You think you're so great because you're so honorable and important and everyone's telling you you're great and everyone's trying to get close to you. But as for you, when you meet God, God's sitting there going, what about the people who weren't invited? It's a subversion of a social system. One of the things that Fitzgerald said I'd like us to think about is what social systems that we operate and participate in that actually dehumanize others. A crippled person or a blind person or a beggar would sit out on the road night after night after night. Not only would they struggle for food, but they have no hope of dignity or social status. Because the system made sure it stayed that way. So our question is if we try and bring this into today, What social systems would Jesus come and walk into and go look at you all clamoring over each other? What about those on the outside? We're not actually going to take feedback on this one because what I want you to do is spend some time in your communities with your friends talking about this. Um, I don't believe that the most important conversation that happens or the most important teaching that happens happens on a Sunday. I think it happens between us and our communities. I was going to tell you one more little story. Um, A friend of mine, Michael Frost, um, from New Zealand, the ginger beardy one, 
um, some of you have met him, he's come here before, um, <laughs> was doing a lecture series in um, a Bible college he was talking about, awesome, um, who, um, and, and he was talking about this whole idea of that the system of the world is to climb as high as you can on the ladder. The kingdom of God operates in an upside-down manner, whereas you're at the top of the ladder, you climb down and lift up others. And he said, like, you've got to understand we see the world the wrong way. There is no ladder. And he actually started writing a book, which I'm still trying to get him to write. I might just write it because he's not getting onto it. He's doing some stupid PhD. Um, um, called There Is No Ladder. <laughs> anyway, one of his students goes um, and had the enormous honor, uh, brace yourselves, of getting to drive someone, an important person, at a Christian conference. I know. <sighs> No, I mean somebody, like somebody. And um, that person turned to him after he'd rushed around and put his bags in the car and said, I used to drive people. One day, you might be able to get up here with me. <laughs> and this poor little intern turned to him and goes, um, but my teacher Michael Frost says there is no ladder. <laughs> And he turned to him, dead set serious, and said, there is a ladder, and I'm near the top. (laughs) Welcome to Christianity. (sighs) Jesus, ladder climber. What I want us to think about is where we have advantage in life. This is hard for all of us. <laughs> and the ways that our advantage can take away from the humanity of others. Or the ways that our advantage can be given over to add to the humanity of others. That's the creative question for us as people who are trying to participate in the kingdom of God. We're going to have communion together now. And this is what I want you to do with communion. We're all sick. And we are all broken. And we were all created good. And God affirms this. Communion today is an offer and an act of grace. That for all of us who have sat on the underside of powers and lost our humanity and dignity through them. This is a gift to drink of the love and dignity and value of God. And for all of us who are the very same people who have abused others and taken away from their humanity, this is an opportunity to drink forgiveness and transforming grace. that the gospel cuts through these cycles of revenge, these cycles of people getting what they deserve. It's an offer of generous grace into a new way of being. Let us eat and drink together this morning. Why don't you spend a couple of moments just communing with each other or with God, receiving what you need to receive this morning.
Um, awesome. Anna's going to come and read the benediction. Why don't we stand together to receive a good word? If only it was an eggs benediction. Mm. <laughs> um, this is by St. Francis of Assisi, and I think it's quite apt for what we've been talking about. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. (laughs) 